And then someone asks them this question, does it make money? And then all of a sudden, this thing that they love doing as a hobby becomes um, poisoned by someone saying, well, it doesn't make money, therefore it has no value. And I, I just think it's really important to classify what it is that you're doing. So if it gets classified as a hobby, then and it and it fills you in some way, shape, or form, you keep doing it. But the most important part is if you don't enjoy doing it, then you should put it to bed and then find what you do enjoy. It's gonna be a really neat behind the scenes. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. Because something always magical happens. Wait, what? Did you just make that up? Hey, it's Meredith For Real, The Curious Introvert. Listen each week as I talk with someone new. The topics are as ADD as I am, but they'll inspire you to stay curious and grow. Hey, Curiositors, it's me, Meredith. Thanks for hanging out with me today. If you're a returning listener, your loyalty means everything to me. And if you're new here, welcome. I started this podcast in 2019 as a project to inspire people to choose curiosity over judgment. I especially like shining light on people who either defy category or are a paradox. Each guest brings a personal development opportunity along with their story so you can stay curious and grow. And this is going to be one of those episodes. You're going to want to bookmark this and come back to it. As I personally continue to increase my do to say ratio, I need reminders like this episode that avoiding failure does not equal success. They are not the same. It's also a good reminder that you 100% need a tribe of growth minded people in your life, even if they are virtual. So if you have a few good ideas that you've been sitting on, whether they're for profit or for pleasure, this is an episode for you. Or maybe you're already successful in your business or your corporate career, and you're wondering how to prevent the downward slide from not adapting to change. This episode is also for you. And remember, you don't have to take notes because I do it for you. You're welcome. You just text REAL to 66866 or go to MeredithForReal.com to get the bulleted clickable summary delivered to your inbox. You're going to love this episode. Enjoy the show. Have you ever had a good idea and decided to sit on it for a while, only for a while to become a decade? You thought, I need to do more research or I need to wait for a better time. I need more money. My next guest has put on over 2,000 events for entrepreneurs and creatives. At one conference, in an effort to get a point home, he told the audience out of frustration to just start ugly. What was meant as an offhand admonishment became a concept that led to a book called Start Ugly, a timeless tale about innovation and change. Today, he's going to share why quitting isn't always failure, why we should cozy up to change, and how starting ugly can actually lead to really beautiful things. Amplifier, trier of things, the extrovert's extrovert, Chris Kremitzos. <laughs> that was a great intro. Thank you, Meredith. You're welcome. Thanks for coming on. In my research for our episode, I basically concluded that Chris loves three things, people, birds, and his wife, but maybe not in that order. <laughs> my kids too, yeah. And your kids, yeah. <laughs> and I definitely want to talk about the importance of tribe. Um, but before we get into that, I'd love to start with the start ugly concept. Um, you mentioned the approach of starting ugly as kind of hoping to fail, which it, this was in a different interview that you mentioned this. And that kind of blew my mind because I was thinking, wait a minute, isn't that negative thinking? So what's the difference? 
The the challenge I find is most of us waste our so let's talk about money, time, and life. Um, we only have a finite amount of time, as far as I know, and you know money comes and goes, uh, and so does failure and trying. So I just found that if we could stop thinking and do more, uh, and if we fail, that's a bonus because actually the failure, right? We hear it all the time, is not trying at all. Um, and we rob ourselves of the most precious commodity, which is time. So you're better off trying something and starting ugly and then perfecting it as you go. So it's become kind of my mantra and it's helped me. I, I don't want to have any regrets when I'm done. I have a few things I want to get done and I just want to make sure I accomplish as much as I can while I'm here. So it's not really negative thinking. It's more just thinking of it as an experiment and what's the worst that could happen. It's almost like you're reframing failure, not really hoping for failure. That is correct. It's uh, yeah, it's actually um, it's actually making sure that the true failure is thinking about stuff. That's how I look at it. So starting ugly is actually a success just by get like let's say you started and you didn't like what you did, then you don't have to do it again. Now you don't have to waste your time thinking about it. Think about something else. I love that. I interviewed a, a guy that talked about having a high do to say ratio, and that just really sticks with me all the time. I'm curious, though, with your experience working with entrepreneurs, creatives, and even high level corporate traditional job people, what does starting ugly, how does that look different for creatives and entrepreneurs versus people in like a regular traditional job who want to climb the corporate ladder? Yeah. So like for entrepreneurs, starting ugly is usually starting a new process, a new business, a new line of business. So it's usually around starting something fairly new. If you're in a, if you're in a corporate career, starting ugly could mean like starting a new software program to track your sales or starting like just creating new habits around things. Uh, like I give you an example, when the whole COVID thing happened, there were only a few people in these businesses that understood how to use Zoom really well. I know that sounds odd to an entrepreneur, but those people became very valuable in a corporate ecosystem. Well, they were starting ugly before everybody else. Most people were just locked in fear, not knowing what to do. The people like, let me figure out Zoom became the most valuable people in a company. So if in, someone's in like a traditional setting, it's almost like starting ugly is anti-rigidity. I would say so. Yeah. It, it being willing to try on new things and seeing how it goes without being stuck. I mean, I just had a friend that uh, was stuck for 21 years in a corporate career and they they did what was called a resizing. That basically meant they knew he was going to retire in a couple of years and they want to pay him out his uh, retirement. So he got a great six month severance, but because he never started ugly within his corporate career to test new things, to be valuable, when it came down and they knew he had two years to go, they the new term now is resizing. Um, and that's what happened to him. Resizing. Ah, uh, corporate America. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that, that, that's how they find the people that are ready to uh, get these big packages retirement. And they just say, oh, we." Re and it was ironic because I was like, was this a uh, lay uh, layoff? He goes, no, the company's doing great. They just resized a handful of people across the country. And that's basically what they're doing is that they, they're, they're taking you out of whatever you thought you were guaranteed and, and getting rid of you two, three years before that happens. That's going to be like the new breakup term. Listen, John, it's just not, it's not that it's not working out. I'm just resizing myself. Yeah. There's all kinds of terms or, uh, I, I remember dating used to be a term we used to use when I was, uh, 
in the pool. Now it's uh, get-togethers, and uh, you always ask people, what's a get-together? Well, it's just the two of us are getting together. We're not necessarily dating, so <laughs> that way everybody keeps their options open. <laughs> Listen, I'm just really happy I found my husband, and I don't have to deal with any of that. <laughs> But it sounds like for on the corporate side, starting ugly could also mean uh, trying new things outside of your traditional job. Like your friend, um, you know, he can't help that they resized, but had he or I don't maybe maybe he has and I don't know. But if he or someone in his situation try something new and they started ugly by trying something new, then maybe he would welcome and embrace that layoff um, as an opportunity to dive deeper into that new venture. Well, I'll give you an update. Um, he got tired of looking for a job. So then I told him to start ugly. So he found this delivery app and he has a pickup truck. So he makes a decent amount of money delivering stuff from point A to point B. And he's making, you know, 200 bucks a day, but he doesn't have to worry about corporate. And he's very happy. Um, but it took him a while to get unstuck and get out of his way. And me and a handful of other friends were help him along the way. So uh, he's actually very happy uh, in what we call the gig economy. And that's where he right now he's enjoying that because he said, hey, after 20 years of corporate, this just feels good. And we're helping him get started in um, real estate management in Costa Rica. So he's he's working on that as we speak. He's in Costa Rica right now, coming back in a, a week or two. Oh, you're speaking my language with Costa Rica, but I won't get off on a rabbit trail too much there. We'll have to talk about that later. So you start ugly. You're hideous. Now what? You you say in the book, don't stay ugly. Yeah. So I, I remember uh, I get people all the time telling me, oh, I start ugly, but nothing's improved. Uh, the philosophy of the book, Start Ugly, is your start is always ugly compared to where you wind up. But the one thing is you have to perfectly execute along the way. So immediately you want to uh, have incremental improvements. Uh, so that way you're now refining this amazing thing. And by the way, the Start Ugly book is a parable. It's written in like a, a fictional story about a, a, a fictional character. I just find people learn better that way than telling them what to do. Uh, so yeah, once you start ugly, then you need to get better at what you just started. And then you want to define what it is. Is it a hobby? Is it a new line of business? Is it a new business? Or is it just a way of doing things differently that you did before? So it's it's really an open... It's just creating new behaviors and being open to change. And as we see in this world, change is the only, th the only thing I've seen since I was a kid is change is ongoing, but it's happening faster than it ever has each and every year that I'm alive. So you really have to adopt this philosophy because, I mean, now we're coming out of COVID. What happens after? What happens if, you know, now we're seeing in the news, I know it sounds weird, but they're having UFO sightings. Well, what does that mean? So you just don't know what changes around the corner. So Start Ugly gives you um, an operating drive to work from to take all the emotions out of the way that are guilting you from starting and stopping. And you have to be open to criticism as well. But how do you know when you're trying not to stay ugly, who to take criticism from and who to ignore? Yeah. So like in everybody's life, we have two kinds of uh, critics. We have the person that's the emotional critic. Oh, I hate that. It sucks. And that does not help any of us. And that's, you want to guard yourself from that kind of energy. But some of us might have a parent or someone that's very strategic in the way they look at things but also might understand your niche. Now, I wouldn't necessarily go family, but let's just say in family circles, like I would tell you my dad, he just happens to be a very good strategic. I'll give you an example. I spoke once at this group 
And I went in a half hour. I got so excited. They were so excited. I went a half hour too long. And I remember him saying after, he goes, had you finished at this time, you had the perfect amount of excitement in the room. He goes, when you went a half hour, they still liked it, but it was a little too much. That's someone that's really like, like I realized like my dad always gave me, even though like you're like, oh man, but he always gave me really good feedback, if that makes sense. And he was right. So you want to look for those critics, the people that could give you constructive criticism that um, is is stuff that's actionable and it makes sense to you. Uh, and then at the end of the day, whatever it is you're doing, you want to look at the metrics. So in this scenario, we want to look at downloads in a show, right? If it's your work, what is the metric that you would consider a success? And you want to make sure that's improving as well. So find the metric and look for good critical feedback givers. I've never thought, you know, oh, I'm going to look for good criticizers. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I have it's, I have a handful. My wife is actually one of the best. That's how we met. She gave me feedback on an event I did and I didn't have food out for people. She's like, how could you have an event after work without any food? Aren't you Greek? You should know this. Well, here's the challenge at the time. Food costs money and I didn't have money. So she said to me, why are you letting money stand in the way of giving people an option? Can't you at least give them a granola bar? And it was like a light bulb moment. But it also helped me because you have diabetics, you have different people that actually their emergencies might happen. That feedback was crucial in the development of my events back in the day. So uh, this is when we we're doing small events locally and I was trying to save money because we just didn't have it. But granola bars I could bring in and the hotel didn't mind us, you know, feeding people granola bars. It was OK. But that's like feedback that's really that's that's better than someone saying, I, I hate this. Like you, you can't do anything with, I hate this. So you shouldn't even listen to that person. But if someone says, hey, I left because you didn't have food. I just left work. Couldn't you have something for me to eat? And I remember saying, well, I don't have money. And she said, why can't you just have granola bars? I'm like, I never thought of that. Those people are trying to help you. Well, that's the perfect segue to talk about tribe. And you've talked about, you just said you were very intentional in your tribe of who gives you that kind of feedback and criticism. I would love for you to share with my listeners the story about how Gabe, as a part of your tribe, uh, kind of forced a deadline on you when it comes to your book, Start Ugly. So my, foot, my buddy Gabe, I did what I always do. I, tell, I told him about, I'm going to write this book. It's going to be amazing. And I have this idea. And he's like, when are you going to write it? Well, you know, I'll, I'll get started next week. And that happened like for four months, maybe even a year, right? So I'm my own. We're, we're all humans. Like we do this. This is not like just because I'm the start ugly guy doesn't mean I'm not victim to the same thing we all do. And I remember um, I'm sitting there with my kids, you know, it's after hours. People are starting to send me texts. Hey, congrats on the book. Congrats on the book. And I'm like, what the heck are they talking about? So Gabe got so sick and tired of me saying I was going to write a book. He actually put on Facebook that I was going to have a book launch party. It was like in August. I remember it was like August something. And he said, hey, let's congratulate Chris on August 19th or whatever. He's going to have a book launch party of his new book, Start Ugly. And then I guess the, I was like, what is this? He goes, and he he he's a very respectful person. He's like, I hope you're not angry at me. Goes, but I just figured I'd give you a deadline and some social pressure. And that's actually built into Start Ugly is announcing you're going to do something so you can have some accountability from your friends and social circles. But mine was forced upon me and I'm so glad he did because I, I had the book done like a week after his deadline, but we had it done. I, I was like, okay, now I got to get writing. 
That's awesome. And it was so important that you actually put the screenshot of the post in the book. And I was like, well, this is certainly monumental if he is putting it in the book like this. So I, I really love that. And, um, you know, you, uh, talking more about team and tribe, you talk about um, the loyalty that your crew has. And even one time, the team that you were working with, you weren't able to make payroll and you weren't able to make payroll for three months and they stayed with you for three months. How in the world do you develop that kind of loyalty? So back in the early days of that business, um, a lot of people volunteered their way into a job. And then somewhere along the way, like a lot of small business owners, I mismanaged the cash flow, not from like spending, but from allocating it on the wrong expenses. Maybe I paid a speaker too much, whatever. It was a live event business. And my team kept showing up. And at one point, I begged them not to because I felt guilty that I couldn't afford them uh, to pay them. And the one individual said, I know you'll make good. I believe in you. I believe in this. I'm gonna, And they just kept showing up. So it was this was early in my career. Uh, I've never had such kindness uh, in a work situation bestowed upon me. Luckily, I was able to make up and pay and give a really cool bonus years later. But in that moment, imagine having a purpose and your team is tied into the purpose that money doesn't matter. It was a, it was a very special thing. But a part of it was I find a lot of the people I work with, they a lot of times will have volunteers or people that help with the events. And then some people work their way into the system to where they believe so much in the purpose that they're ride or die. And it makes a huge difference in everything that we do. Hey, everyone, just a quick interruption to show gratitude to our sponsors and give you some special deals. So I don't have kids, but I also want to tell you about It's Your Magazine. They're a national family-centered publishing company with free parent magazines. They have parenting advice, events, and inspiration. I'm actually in a networking group with the publisher, and this guy is all about family. You can view a free magazine in cities in Texas, Oregon, Washington, and Florida by checking them out at itsyourmagazine.com. And Insect. So I've always felt iffy about pesticides. Then the mosquitoes got so bad, I would get covered in them from walking from my house to the car. I called Insect, and to say I've been impressed is an understatement. When the treatment wasn't quite doing it, the owner actually came to my house. He found the breeding sites, identified the species of mosquito, and adjusted my treatment to that species. That's when I found out he's also a beekeeper, and pollinator issues are always top of mind. So if you're in the Florida Panhandle or Gulf Coast of Alabama, give them a call, ensec.net. Now back to the show. I think that's pretty amazing. And now I want to switch gears a little bit. In the book, you talk about quitting is actually an option. And when I read that, I was like, what? You know, growing up, it was uh, the mantra was, you know, I didn't raise a quitter and don't quit, don't quit was always the mantra of the adults around me. And as an ADHD kid who lost interest in things that became boring and or hard, I would often jump from thing to thing. So it may have been an appropriate mantra for me at the time, but it's kind of one of those things that I suspect becomes uh, an opportunity for a new mindset as an adult. So tell me why is quitting an option when it comes to something you start? 
Well, in American culture, quitting is seen as failure. Um, and I think we need to destigmatize that. If you started something that you were thinking about and you discovered that you did not enjoy it, that is a success because now you could try something else and you could stop doing that. Um, I do notice something because I deal with a lot of creatives in the podcasting world. Some of them, because they have a business, they start a podcast and it's successful. And then someone asks them this question, does it make money? And then all of a sudden, this thing that they love doing as a hobby becomes um, poisoned by someone saying, well, it doesn't make money, therefore it has no value. And I, I just think it's really important to classify what it is that you're doing. So if it gets classified as a hobby, then and it, and it fills you in some way, shape, or form, you keep doing it. But the most important part is if you don't enjoy doing it, then you should put it to bed and then find what you do enjoy. Uh, Meredith, I saw a, a really like not so good speaker years ago speak and they, but you know, not so good speakers doesn't mean you don't learn something. They had probably the most valuable tidbit I've ever gotten from a speaker and they were Canadian. And they explained that in the Canadian system, when you go through high school, you get to try different jobs. That way you could discover what you want to go to college to learn. And I was like, why don't we do that in the U S so they actually have people intern while they're in high school in, in this, I think it was in British Columbia, or whatever, but they, they try different things. And I think in life, if we don't try, if we don't start ugly on different venues and things, how do we even know what we like? And I think that's why we have so many rudderless people going through the world, not knowing what their gifts are because they haven't tried enough stuff. So start ugly allows you to uh, destigmatize starting and stopping and trying. And I think it allows an opportunity to get a macro view, which helps you figure out what you want, what you don't like, what you like, and what systems you want to participate in. I'll always remember one day I was um, doing a Mary Kay you know, event, and this woman came in. She looked really put together, and she came in. We started chatting. I told her about you know how I had um, lived many lives is what I like to say, but I moved to Florida, um, just solely on my Mary Kay business and, you know, from Nebraska. And now I like to surf and do, you know, the beach and save sea turtles and all this stuff. And her eyes got big and, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I wish I had your life. I graduated high school, top of my class, went to college, excelled there, got married, had kids, bought a house, and now I'm here. And I thought, whoa, but that's like what we all aspire to. But the difference is it's what do you want? And you don't know what you want unless you take the time to, like you said, try different things. So I love I that. Have a, I have a weird theory that uh, loving parents do more damage than dysfunctional parents. Now, that being said, I don't, I don't believe this theory, but it's an interesting theory. And the theory is this. Um, Loving parents, a lot of times, because they love their kids so much, they want them to be safe. So what they do is they will put their kids into tracks, predetermined tracks, and it uh, gets rid of the self-discovery process that we're talking about right now. And what happens is before the person knows it, they're 40, 50, 60, whatever, and they've lived a life without really having thought intentionally about the life they wanted to live now. We're in an age where that's being questioned on all fronts, even with COVID and all this stuff. But when I was coming up, um, I have relatives that literally I know their parents brought tutors in and told them what tracks they'll probably go to college for and Ivy League and all this. And I think more damage is done in that than 
And the dysfunctional parents uh, have have kids. <laughs> they do damage on both ends. But what happens is uh, because of their absence or the whatever the dysfunction is, uh, there's a discovery process that a child has to have because of the absence of a lot of different things. Uh, now, that does create some extremes on all ends, but it, it's just a, it, ideally, right? You want to have a household, whether you have kids or not, just a household for your your significant other, whoever's in your household, uh, or a friendship, whatever you want to call it, that allows for each individual to celebrate people discovering things. Because what happens is you'd be amazed. Like I literally have friends right now. Uh, one of my best friends, uh, I encourage him to discover his passion with being an influencer on YouTube on golf. He's about to be the number one influencer in the world for golf on YouTube. Uh, I got to be part of that process from the ground up and we celebrate all these small wins because life is so short. If you sit there all paranoid about the lack of what's there, you could spin your wheels forever. Yeah, that's so true. And you talk in the book about, um, the importance of starting ugly over and over again. And I think people will be surprised to know that the parable is not about a man who is thinking about doing. He's a man who is already successful and he sees the slide, downward slide of his business due to his inability to innovate and have that perspective and his inability to change. And so I guess my question is, how do you know when you need to start ugly again, either within the framework of what you're already doing or a total pivot? I think you got to um, be respectful of the fear that pops up. And if you're afraid, that's usually a sign this is something you probably should try. And yeah, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that the, the story is about a very successful person because when I first would promote this, I would get a lot of successful business owners tell me, I'm already successful. I don't need this. Success is a relative term and how you define it. And I would always say to them, if you think you're successful in any way, shape, or form, you're probably already trapped. Um, because what happens is now, and this happens with all of us, um, age and experience actually traps you into bubbles. Uh, and I've had the pleasure of watching my two-and-a-half-year-old during COVID, and she's two-and-a-half now, but I got to watch her like every day she tries things that I'm just terrified of watching her try. But um, as our habits become entrenched, we're, we're afraid of we're, fear is what I would say. So if you're conscious of fear, you need to ask yourself, why are you afraid? This is not a book to tell you to be unfocused because that's what someone would be like, well, I don't want to try this because I'm unfocused. Well, guess what? Right now I'm studying the blockchain. And I'm putting on an event in a space that I have no experience in as far as like, I don't have all the contacts. I'm, I'm terrified to do an event about new things that I really don't know about. But I'm also exhilarated because I have to earn the respect of a whole group of new people. I have to be reminded why I do what I do. And it helps me be better on all the other things that I do. So it's just um, education never stops. And uh, Meredith, the one story, I think it was a George Clooney story. He had his uncle who he worshipped uh, was on his deathbed and George was there. And the guy was yelling, I mean, really angry uh, as he was dying. And he looked at George and he said, do whatever you can to accomplish everything you want, because before you know it, it's all over. And he goes, there's so many things I regret I didn't do. And you hear that often with people at the end of their life. They realize, like, where did the time go? Why didn't I do what I had to do? Like, I have another term, which is enjoy the brokenness. And a lot of people don't enjoy when they're broke. 
I really enjoyed, I have fond memories of being broke and not having enough money to make it through the day. Uh, but I also reframed that in a way that was enjoyable. Like I would have people collecting, well, I like credit card debt type stuff. When the credit card, this is back in the day where they would call you and stuff. Uh, I would literally label all the numbers from credit cards to like thought leaders, whether it be like Aristotle or Socrates. And it would be a great thing that all these great philosophers would be calling me all the time. <laughs> so I enjoyed my progress, you know, it was an experience. I love that. We uh, we have had a, a few of those stories. We paid off about $43,000 in debt in about three years and talk about start ugly. That was, we ate a lot of buy one, get one free Publix hot dogs. And when we finished that journey, my husband said, I never want to see another hot dog in my life. (laughs) (laughs) So there's, I don't think that anyone who had, you have to have hard things happen in order to have a good story. No one is inspired by your smooth sailing, right? So on the premise of inspiring others, you know, starting ugly can certainly, that can be a motivator for someone who's not willing to start for themselves, but the fact that they could help another person pushes them on. But in any case, I love that your book really inspires us to start with the end in mind. We want, we don't want to be like George Clooney's relative. We want to say at minimum, well, that was interesting instead of, damn, I wish I did. So as we wrap up, tell people where they can buy your book and, um, and where they can keep in touch with you. Yeah. So start ugly, just go to amazon.com. I think there was five in stock last time I checked. Um, it looks like a post-it note because there is another book about philosophy called start ugly, which must be a good book because both of them are very highly reviewed, but, um, you know, if you could buy the physical book, I would recommend that because uh, we designed the cover in such a way that you could keep it around your desk to remind you to start ugly because it's 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 a big reminder. I have it around everywhere. Actually, for my own sake, I have it. Um, so that's where. The, and then um, if you just go to chriscrementos.com, it has whatever projects I'm part of. But uh, I, I would just say. Uh, I've lost a lot of amazing people I love to death because I do a lot of events and I, I've created a lot of deep relationships. You really want to um, put your butt on the line and say, like, I don't know what it is. Have you been thinking of brewing beer out of the house? Have you been thinking of blah, blah, blah? Go buy the kit and start ugly and enjoy the process and take all outcomes off the equation. Just enjoy the moment of creation whatever it is, um, and have fun with it and know that you're going to fail miserably at some things. But as you fail, you'll learn. And as you perfectly execute along the way, that's like you said, that's how uh, diamonds are made through pressure. So that, that's that's what I would recommend. And, and if you enjoy the book, I'd love a review. If you don't enjoy the book, send me an email directly. I like criticism. <laughs> <laughs> well, I enjoyed the book. You can see it behind me here. Um, nicely propped. And uh, I know that I'll be leaving a good review. And if you're listening or watching this and you want to know where to buy the book um, or you're driving and you can't write down what he, what Chris just said, I'll put it in the, the notes. And also my Saturday email will include some of the tips, including the seven steps of starting ugly, as well as a big fat buy me link for his book. And you can get that in the US by texting REAL to 66866. And if you are one of my wonderful listeners outside of the US, you can go to meredithforreal.com and get signed up for the emails that way. Thank you, Chris. This was amazing. That's a wrap. 
Thank you, Meredith. I appreciate it. Wasn't that awesome? If you liked this episode, you'll also like the episode I mentioned about the do to say ratio. That's episode 67. You can see other similar episodes on my YouTube channel playlist called Entrepreneurship. It's youtube.com slash Meredith for real. Stay tuned next week for one of my favorite episodes to make ever a cultural comparison. I talk Taiwanese versus American culture with my friend who immigrated to the U.S. when she was 15. Talk to you next week.